Welcome to Season 2 of Positivity Strategist. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, in which we talk about seven literacies for living and leading in this century. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel. And I'm Sally Lee. We're co-hosts of Season 2. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, Literacies for Living and Leading in This Century. And for 10 shows, that's what we'll be talking about. Welcome to everybody. A warm welcome to our regular listeners and thank you for your support. And if you're new to the show, thank you for joining and showing your trust in joining us on Positivity Strategist podcast. This is actually episode 104 of the entire show that's been running for four years. And this one is a most special one. And it's special because it's the final show in season two. This is the 10th episode of season two, which has been dedicated to the topic of appreciative voice and choice. And I've had the absolute pleasure to have a co-host during this entire season. And of course, I'm referring to my appreciative inquiry colleague, Sally Lee. It's been such a privilege to collaborate with you, Sally, for almost a year now, culminating in our co-creating these 10 shows. Amazing, isn't it? It's wonderful, yeah. So let me say hello, Sally. And I'm sure it won't be the last time that I say hello, Sally, on this podcast. And I absolutely know it's not going to be the last time I ever say hello, Sally, as our collaboration will continue there are all kinds of possibilities. You know, we've actually started something which is bigger than us and we're open to what might emerge in the future for the continuation of the seven literacies for appreciative voice and choice. They are so relevant to our work collectively and independently and they align to the principles of the transformational change methodology, appreciative inquiry. So, hello, Sally. Hello, Robin, and thank you. It's both exciting and a little sad that this is our last show together for now. In the show today, we want to reflect on our learnings and what's on the horizon for Appreciative Voice. Let's take the opportunity to talk about how the literacies have been showing up in our lives at a personal level and what we're noticing as we continue to do our work and engage with people in our communities. At the end of the last episode, we mentioned that we were off to do some field work to introduce the literacies, and we'll share some of those findings as well today. That sounds like a great start, Sally. And as I think about my reflections, at the outset, I want to acknowledge you because it's been a really remarkable collaboration. I want to honour you because you already had a version of the literacies which deeply resonated with me. I saw how relevant and valuable they were in lifting appreciative inquiry and the principles of appreciative inquiry to a whole new level. And after interviewing you on an earlier episode, um, I, I suggested that, hey, why don't we try working together and how might we introduce the literacies to a bigger audience and even possibly teach them? So to shorten the story, we decided to, in fact, uh, do a podcast season together. Sally, you had great content and I had the skills and the experience to host and produce a podcast. We thought it would be really valuable not only for us to get clearer about the literacies by doing research and refining them, we thought also it would be valuable for others to know about the literacies. So Sally, what, what's your, your immediate reflection? What's this process been like for you? Oh, Robin, I would ditto what you've said. It's been a privilege to work with you throughout, every day. And we've had plenty of opportunities to explore how to make things better, how to communicate the literacies more clearly. And that's been such a gift for me. The main thing for me, though, has been how our working friendship has been an experiment in applying the literacies to our lives every day. There was a lot beyond this work going on for both of us in the past months, and I had lots to learn about podcasting besides. You were so patient, Robin, I have to say. And during that time, um, you know what, with 
all the things going on in your life and the things going on in mine. I was caregiver giver to a mother suffering with dementia, and she died in June while we were, you know, in the midst of this podcast season. So I've also been dealing with her estate and selling off her home and her furnishings. Mm-hmm. What often struck me during this process, Robin, was your kindness throughout and your willingness to be flexible. We both have a strong ethic of keeping our commitments and that trust in one another and constant welcoming moved a few mountains, I think, mm. during our time doing this, uh, this season. That, along with our shared frame and shared vision of what we wanted to create together, I never felt that we fell out of appreciative voice, even though we come at things from quite different perspectives, you know, and had some pretty lively discussions about the best ways to proceed. I think that's what makes things good, Mm -hmm. by the way. I think that's really necessary. That's optimal. So this has been an extraordinary learning lab and a great personal gift to me. Mm. So, you know, I I spoke a little bit about, you know, how the literacies uh, may have shown up in our partnership. But uh, tell me, how have the literacies been showing up in your life? Yeah, I appreciate all those lovely words. Thank you, Sally. Um, so how the literacy has been showing up in my life? <laughs> well, I'm conscious of them all the time and sometimes in time and sometimes on time <laughs> and sometimes too late. I, I do remember, um, I mean, I do remind myself that an intention of the literacies is to help us find and use our appreciative voice more readily in the moment. And that takes work. I I know that um, as we've developed the literacies together, our intention has always been to help us access our appreciative voice in the moment, giving us greater choice. And I I think, you know, if I were to put myself on that continuum that we suggested in every um, episode with every literacy, on that line from 1 to 10 where I think my strength is in using any of the literacies, I would have to say, Sally, that I'd fluctuate from a 1 to a 10. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> it just shows how much I need to practice each literacy to strive for mastery. Will I ever get there? I'm sure not, but hey, the journey is well worth it. And I think I'd say um, inviting inquiry and powering the positive would be the two literacies that come most readily to me. And of course, that's because I have a lot of practice in those. That's what I do professionally. I ask lots of questions and my focus is very much on powering the positive in my own life and the lives of my clients. And um, maybe a couple of others. Because participatory change methodologies have been the mainstay of my consulting career, I'd have to say that the literacy of welcoming wholeness and connecting the collective also come readily and I'm at ease with those. I have such a smorgasbord of design methodologies to engage people at their fullest on topics that they care about. So that's probably a long answer, Sally, but what about you? What <laughs> resonates with you? Well, what you said resonates uh, with me. You know, sometimes I feel like my whole daily life is about coming up with a question in the moment that will move things forward connect me up with someone else's thinking and clear the way for real conversation. I mean, it's, it's on my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And because my work over the years with so many groups and organizations attempting to do amazing things, I'm always pulling on the more outwardly expressed literacies of, for example, connecting the collective, welcoming wholeness and finding the future, mm-hmm. you know, finding ways to tap collective intelligence in family in groups of friends and in global conglomerates, um, you know, and it's something worthy of our long-term and constant study, how we can tap the collective and be our best when we're together. I've, I've also studied Buddhism. So kindling kindness and the quest for increased compassion and empathy every day stays in my mind, probably because I can be very judgmental. And I work with that every day. You know, I think that's why I was drawn to Buddhism in the first place and that emphasis on learning compassion for self and others is because I can be very judgmental. So, um, but ever since I was introduced to appreciative inquiry, I've said that it was my spiritual path. Mm. And that hasn't changed in the 20 years I've been a student of AI. 
as I've become and become more adept with the literacies, I grow as a person and my voice grows as well. And I think my spirit grows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it is that continuous learning that you refer to, Sally. So I I have two stories about deep learning Um, and they're relevant to the literacy. So that's why I want to share them. Um, One's a story um, I, I originally thought of it as a disaster story where I couldn't access any of the literacies, it seemed, in the moment and I had to reflect, reflect long and hard. Um, and even bringing it up today, perhaps I'm still processing that disaster story. And the other story is a joyful story that came out of our field work with the AI Jam event. And I'm, I'll share that one later, perhaps. So first, the disaster story. Um, and I want to share it as there are so many learnings in that. And I think, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to to reflect on our ongoing learning. It, it, it happened after a most uncomfortable meeting involving four professional coaches and we were evaluating a potential business strategy. And I took all seven literacies and overlaid each one onto the situation to help me work through and understand how being more masterful in the literacies would have helped me and others at the time and it wouldn't have been such a, in quote marks, disaster. So my very first inquiry to myself was, how might I reframe the story from one of labelling it as a disaster? And so I reframed it to an awakening. I was awakened to how strong my values of autonomy, free choice and using my own voice mattered to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so the essence of the story is that my buttons were pushed to the edge And I went over. I lost my cool and I was unable to move us, the group, toward any kind of mutual agreement. And I wasn't alone in that. Our perspective differed so much that we agreed to discontinue the venture we were exploring. And I'm really sad that we could not find a way, a generative way, a kind way to reach understanding. We were all very upset. And I can also reframe it to say that we all used our appreciative voice in the sense that we spoke up and we held our ground about what was important to us. Um, And yet we could not reach any mutual understanding to continue. So, you know, and that was okay in the end. And Sally, you and I have defined appreciative voice as it isn't about being nice, but it's that voice that looks for and acknowledges strengths. It's that voice that acknowledges diversity and invites us to stand up and speak to issues in a way that's still inclusive and can co-create a a sense of mutual belonging. So in this group that I was with, um, we did value the diversity, the wholeness of us. Um, We did stand up and speak to the issues that were important to us. But what really didn't happen in my story is that last part, We did not speak to issues in a way that is still inclusive and can co-create a sense of mutual belonging. So that's, that's the sad part. Yet we did kind of find a future. It wasn't a future together, but we found a future. We did connect the collective. Um, We did welcome wholeness. So, you know, being able to overlay the literacies onto a situation that sometimes we're not so proud of is also um, a valuable exercise in and of itself. So I really am grateful for those literacies in helping me process this experience. I love the way you talk about them and the way you applied them to the situation, both at the time and then later to reflect and and maybe reframe what you thought were the outcomes Mm -hmm. uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. I think that's so valuable. And I think um, for our listeners and for me as well, I'm going to remember that and do more of that um, in the moment myself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're um, as far as your situation is concerned, you know, we're human and we're constantly learning. And in your case, the fact that you noticed what was happening in the moment was a key step. If the literacies of appreciative voice were a snap, we wouldn't have devoted 10 episodes to them. (laughs) It's true. You know, and while we're responsible for our own voices, we don't have control over others. 
We can only invite ourselves and others into dialogue. We can't guarantee how it will turn out as we're not in control of the whole situation. And we can only invite ourselves and others into dialogue like we um, talked about when we were introducing welcoming wholeness. There's the dialectic or the movement of invitation and acceptance. We can invite others and ourselves into dialogue, but they also have to accept. They have to accept the opportunity to come, to reframe, to come to some ability for us to have a conversation. And if they don't, we can't control it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have really different views of what we're capable of and of how open they want to be to thinking about what's possible and what solutions we might be able to find together. You know, we thought we might talk a little bit about some of those assumptions today. We have talked about the assumptions of human capacity. So our old beliefs about who we are and what we're capable of have become outdated at many levels. In our work, we've often wondered whether we humans can ever aspire to less defensive and more empathic behaviour toward one another. Is it possible that as a species we can learn to shift perspective more easily and make changes for greater mutual benefit as complexity increases? Things like bridging political divides, decreasing polarities between the wealthiest and the poorest on our planet, celebrating values that bring us together, and finding solutions to climate change are opportunities that call for us to understand each other's perspective and come together as one and in that sense of mutual belonging on this amazing planet Earth. So right. So over the the several years of reading and researching what's being discovered about our brains and behavior, a set of four kind of updated assumptions has emerged for us about what humans are capable of, about who we are what we're able to do if we train ourselves and become literate in new areas. These assumptions support our thinking on the potential for greater appreciative voice. So there are four of them. And um, think about this as we go through them. What if this is who we are and we remember this daily? So first of all, so just think of that question as we're going through. What if this is who we are as humans? First of all, Our research has led us to believe that humans are both self-interested and compassionate. Human nature brings with it both a capacity for good and compassion, as well as a tendency toward selfishness and defensiveness. Basically, though, as research is telling us, we're not as bad as we've been taught to believe we are. And this relates to the efficacy of our seven literacies for appreciative voice, especially about kindling kindness and welcoming wholeness and powering the positive. Research pouring out of universities and institutions around the world is demonstrating that humans are just as prone to goodness and cooperation as we are to defensiveness and aggression. In fact, our species depends on cooperation, which requires a certain level of empathy and compassion for others. This is a big deal that this has been uh, being found out. In his research, Dr. Keltner has focused on the manifestations of compassion and how it shows up physically and neurophysiologically. Using MRI technology, Keltner and others have found significant evidence that compassion has a biologically correlated process that involves the brain and the vagus nervous system. Their research suggests that compassion most likely enabled early humans to come together in communities and develop cooperative skills as hunter-gatherers, for example, thereby ensuring their survival and their evolution. That ability is just as important today, maybe even more so. If research is correct, you know we are capable and we can build that in ourselves. Oh, absolutely. You only have to look at there are so many things in the world that don't work, but there are so many, many more that do work. And that depends on our our human capacity, right? And so some of that trust in human capacity depends on our next assumption, and that is that we're agile learners. So this is very exciting because the human brain has greater neuroplasticity and learning agility than we ever suspected. And we can change our ideas and learn more easily than we thought we could. So humans have this ability to learn what we need to learn 
we can change and we can self-correct. So not only do we have greater capacity for compassion, for empathy and cooperation, it turns out that our brains are also more malleable than originally thought. We can change our thoughts and thinking patterns, our habits of mind, all through our lives, through our entire life cycle. You know, I think this is especially connected when we look at the literacies um, with the literacy of reframing reality and inviting inquiry. We can take on new perspectives. We can step into someone else's shoes. Mm. We can expand our frames. We can let go of old thinking and we can do it fast in the presence of new data and new conversations. You know, we can do deep inquiry into something and change what we think. Um, It puts us in mind of the appreciative inquiry simultaneity principle. You know, we go in the direction of what we talk about and inquire into. We can change our minds and we can go in new directions. Yeah. Reminds me, science writer Sharon Begley has brought these complex scientific findings down to earth for us. And I'm quoting, she says, something as seemingly insubstantial as a thought can affect the very stuff of the brain. She said that the brain structure reflects the lives we've led. We can do mind sculpting. Isn't that a lovely term? I love it. (laughs) We can sculpt the brain with our thoughts. And if we change our thoughts, we change our brains. That shows that we're capable of continued learning, of reframing our beliefs and right throughout our entire lives. This little story will probably resonate with, uh, with our listeners. You know, those of us who were lucky enough to have our parents uh, into their uh, elder years. My father used to tell me when we disagreed about the state of the world and our views of it, which was pretty often, that he was too old to change and to shift what he had always thought was true. But he wasn't. Before he died, he had let go of so many limiting ideas, assumptions and beliefs that it informed his behavior throughout his life. He was a different person to be with. And much of this occurred when he was in his 80s. So our learning agility, though, is enhanced in a cooperative sphere, in the collective. And this is this was new data for me. I didn't realize this. Developmental psychology tells us that our minds only develop in relationship to other minds, Mm -hmm. which sounds a little bit like social constructionism, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? We co-create our reality and our world together. And that takes us to the third assumption about human capacity that we are holding in this in our uh, in our own research. So yes, Sally. So the third assumption that we hold is that we are interconnected and we we long to belong. So it's interconnectedness and longing to belong. Every individual and organization is a living system, nested within larger systems of networks, and we're interconnected and interdependent. And it's painful when we're felt excluded. We covered this in our um, Welcoming Wholeness episode. This correlates strongly with those literacies, as I mentioned, welcoming wholeness and connecting the collective and finding the future because we talk about shared futures. All futures are shared futures. And it speaks to the principles of social construction and the principle of wholeness. No human, organisation, community, corporation, nation or region is an island unto itself. Everything we do has impact and consequences somewhere, whether that strengthens or weakens the larger systems of connection and support. So most of us would say, of course, we're interdependent and interconnected, you know, if you say that to them. Um, But do we really run our lives and our companies that way? Do we really look at the systemic impacts of our resource and material use, our waste disposal, the systemic costs of how we eat. Do we acknowledge here in this individualistic West that we're built to belong? Interconnectedness is an easy conversation topic, but a tough real shift to make in our mental frameworks, our worldviews, and our daily decisions and practices. So it's while it seems obvious that we're interconnected, the habit forming, living that way, is something fairly new for us in our, at least in our times. One of my favorite thinkers is Lynn McTaggart, who's researched and written so much about our minds and our connections. In a wonderful book called The Bond, she says the following, and I quote, latest evidence from many disciplines, from neuroscience and biology to quantum physics, 
suggests that nature's most basic drive is not competition, as classic evolutionary theory maintains, but wholeness. New research demonstrates that all living beings have been hardwired to seek connection above virtually any other impulse, even at personal cost. Nature's most basic impulse is not a struggle for dominion, but a constant and irrepressible drive for wholeness. Mm. So that's the quote from Lynn McTaggart. Yeah. And our fourth and final working assumption about human capacity is that we are information eaters and storytellers. We think and learn in stories and we're voracious hunter-gatherers of information. The rate of available data will continue to increase exponentially. Just think about that. We know that. We're living in this world now. And we want to take it all in and make meaningful stories about it collectively. Networking and partnering with one another and with technology are the future. How does this help us as information eaters and storytellers. <laughs> it increases and extends our brain capacities to find ways to make sense of it all. We're having to rethink how and where we place our attention. And we're learning to do it together, how to tap into one another, how to depend on one another to co-hold the world of information. This helps us make meaning in ways that we actually haven't needed before. What an opportunity for appreciative voice in determining the way meaning is made in global interpretations of themes, such as non-human rights, global displacement, refugees and immigration. And with the 2018 publication of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, we're, we have the opportunity with our voices to impact climate change not to mention a range of social movements gaining popularity around the world. Amid the complexities and tensions, what conversations are we going to have? And to what purpose? The literacies can strengthen our appreciative voice as an asset for these times. Hopefully these um, assumptions provide greater, um, a stronger platform on which our literacies um, can take hold and come to life. Yeah, so Sally, um, let's talk about our field work. We referred to this in the last episode. We, we said that we're off to do some research and that took place at the Appreciative Jam in Burlington, Vermont, the AI Jam, we affectionately call it, um, and in Burlington, which is the home of the David Cooper Writer Centre for Appreciative Inquiry at Champlain College. And it was our second annual gathering of the AI community and over two and a half days, we were privileged to share ideas and learnings on the theme of elevating appreciative voice and choice every day. Um, now, Sally and I were invited to introduce the literacies, building on the exploration of appreciative voice at the celebration one year earlier. And we were invited to do that in a workshop format. Yeah, our, um, our intention was to bring the appreciative inquiry principles to life on a daily basis through the literacies and to bring that to the to the jam and to our workshop so that people could feel that and and have an experience of it. Our workshop design invited the participants into table groups um, and to have conversations about one literacy. Um, one of the questions we asked them in that during that time was, in what daily situations might this literacy be helpful? So let's review each one, like some of the things that they said. This is a summary of our quick findings from that work. So in terms of the literacy of inviting inquiry, the daily interactions, the daily situations where they thought this might be helpful, was in small talk um, at coffee shops, in elevators. They were seeing ways to really bring questioning, real inquiry, real connection to people and, and even with strangers and uh, carrying forward something in the conversation to deepen connection, not just small talk. Mm. So they also talked a lot about uh, an inviting inquiry that in our divisive political time, um, the idea of using more open-ended questions and trying to really listen to the other, not just give our point of view and our opinion. So the real need to develop our inquiry muscle. You know, one of the things they got to leave with about inviting inquiry was to ask yourself, what do I want to know? What would I like to know about this person? And to carry that with them. 
And then we came to a table who was working on the literacy reframing reality and some of the responses that they came up with in, um, to this question about how might we dailyfy this literacy. The general sense was in their conversation that reframing reality is useful in all situations that we get into. And perhaps the way to start is to ask yourself, what am I paying attention to? How am I seeing this? And um, they, they spoke about how, you know, a classic reframe is moving from the positive to the negative. So when somebody comes up with some deficit-based language or something negative, there is a way to ask an, uh, an affirmative question that reframes it to, well, how might you see that and present it in a, in a more um, positive light? Um, part of this also, of course, reframing reality is inviting all these other perspectives to the table. And they also said things like it would be very useful or reframing reality is most helpful when we're dealing with or we're tending to difference. So there was a lot of really um, animated conversation about the value of getting good at reframing reality. That's exciting because I think that's, uh, you know, it's so foundational. Um, We had a table that was considering kindling kindness. They talked about just the simplicity of doing that daily, that you that smiling creates ripples out in the world, that striving for their own everyday happiness uh, was important in kindling kindness towards others. And also that kindling kindness towards self, that self-compassion piece that's so important, uh, starting the day with intention, taking the initiative to be kind to others and to really extend yourself to be kind. Um, We also talked a bit about pausing, um, taking time to reflect on the impact of your words and actions. So stepping back and pausing before you maybe say something or say something too quickly. Um, Of course, I've never done that. (laughs) But of really uh, doing a little bit of a pause and uh, putting yourself in a state of positive regard, of finding positive regard and loving kindness towards others in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I'll just echo the self-compassion piece there, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> um, the, another of our literacies is powering the positive. And so um, that was a, a very upbeat, positive um, group talking around this particular literacy. And they identified that you can use this across all contexts, in all situations, with your families, in work teams, um, in supporting groups and so on. And so part of powering the positive was in daily practice, for example, is look for what's possible. Um, Ask yourself, what am I seeing that's good in this situation? Whether it's to do with the weather on the day or the food you're eating or the relationships you have at work, what's good in this situation? And uh, looking for what's possible. And of course, part of powering the positive was being able to tap into your own strengths or apply your own strengths and in doing so, also value and see the strengths in others. Um, there was one lovely example that came up with a chap by the name of David. He has this daily practice that started with his wife and it now goes through all his interactions. And he asks, what do you want to be acknowledged for? Oh, Isn't that's that lovely? very nice. Yes. Powering the positive takes us into welcoming wholeness and the opportunities for dailifying that in terms of welcoming inside yourself as well as outside, welcoming others, but also welcoming yourself and being in a state of welcome and inclusiveness, um, of being true to yourself and of creating a safe environment for wholeness to occur. And once again, that's a safe environment for yourself as well as for others. I know that for me, at times in trying to make sure I made others feel safe, especially when I've been facilitating, let's say some groups, that at times I've not taken enough care of my own welcoming and wholeness and making sure that I'm in a safe uh, environment um, to do the work. Mm -hmm. So I think that's incredibly important. Um, So the inner and the outer idea of wholeness and hosting others, hosting yourself, and the including, not feuding, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, what can we bring someone into and, and what questions can we ask, inquire into that includes them, doesn't just cause them to get their backs up and go into a negative state. And so, Sally, that brings us to this uh, table who is 
engaging in conversation around the sixth literacy of connecting the collective. And some of the conversations led to these kind of themes. You know, connecting the collective works obviously in project teams at work, um, especially when there are newcomers, which kind of links to welcoming wholeness, but um, finding ways to engage other people. There are methodologies that they can use um, because a lot of these people, you know, are AI practitioners and consultants. So they had a lot of tools and methodologies um, at their beck and call to be able to connect all the, the, the different ideas of the collective. They also talked about asking that very deep question of what really connects us. So finding what is the central purpose or what's the intention and why, what are we connecting around? Um, oh, very good. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, of course, connecting, one of the greatest um, areas to connect around, connect the collective is around finding the future. And, you know, something that is uh, so important to a group that they need to craft a future together. And um, so in that group, the things that they said, the wonderful things that they said were, they started off with saying the future's built today and we need to connect the future to the present. So they realized that anticipatory pr principle of positive image and positive action and what it creates and how important that is. They talked about taking the long view on relationships and humanity, that when we're finding the future, we can't just focus on sort of the immediate disagreements. We have to take the long view of where, you know, our relationships with others and really of humanity itself. Mm -hmm. It was very moving and very inspiring. They talked about the ideation of, of what your vision is and of looking at what ifs, what if this could happen? What's the outcome I want? You know, reminding themselves that what are we solving for? Why are we even doing this? Why is this so important for us to find a way through? So it was a, a wonderful conversation. We also took them through a couple of other things. Mm. What is remarkable, Sally, is that we had a very short time to present the literacies, like we spoke about each one for two minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and then we invited people to have these table conversations. So to be able to come up with these ideas um, was really remarkable and very encouraging. And we also invited each group to answer the question, how literate am I? And if I place myself on that continuum that we've referred to uh, for, the, for this literacy, where might I position myself? And we also did it for the group. So we found that people's sense of their own fluency and mastery of each literacy was widely different, as you would expect, right? The overall level of perceived literacy was higher um, on the scale of 10 than we'd expected, but there still was a solid mix. So most people felt that they were five plus on the literacies and no one literacy actually stood out that it was um, more easily mastered or more difficult to embrace, and that's, that's really interesting. And that was one of the things we wanted to know was, you know, this group is very uh, skilled in appreciative inquiry. And we thought, well, maybe, you know, they'll say that inviting inquiry, you know, which is a, kind of at the heart or powering the positive, those things that are at the heart of appreciative inquiry, um, that they might be higher on the continuum. But it didn't turn out that way. So the overarching takeaway, I guess, is that the literaries are highly practical and relevant in all situations and for all people. <laughs> At least that we're, that's what we think. <laughs> and that's what our group thought. Um, what excited us is that the participants offered their insights and thoughts on the literacies, including thinking through what other voice strengthening literacies might be useful and needed. You know, we didn't ask this as one of our questions, but three different people came up with very exciting, with what they thought would make very exciting additional and needed uh, literacies. For example, um, participant Ray Wells offered the idea of accelerating action, a literacy of creating ongoing momentum for our visions of the future. And Jay Eckleberry uh, recognized the potential potent literacy of unmasking uncertainty, which is, you know, being comfortable with not knowing all the answers, the unknown and the emerging future. So that's so important in these times that, you know, that we become more comfortable with 
living with uncertainty, so masking uncertainty. And Betsy Luke's perceived an underlying place for mindfulness, bolstering all the other literacies, perhaps to be called maintaining mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we've had, we've had some pretty rich conversations about. Um, and one of our longtime listeners, Sally Beth Shore, who was also at the AI Jam, wanted to see the Appreciative Voice graphic on a T-shirt. And she, uh, you know, voiced <laughs> this from day one. Um, and so these ideas were really fun to explore and spoke to us of the interest um, in the literacies and in, in elevating our appreciative voices. Yeah, so it was great. It was very highly uh, participatory. And we got and we had lots and lots of uh, different feedback. So we're very grateful for this opportunity. And so Sally, I know we're running a little late in time, but I feel like I would like to balance my first awakening story with my second story, which is a story of joy. And it's actually related to the AI fieldwork that we're talking about. So um, one of our um, consultant AI practitioner colleagues, Ros Kay, led us through a lively outdoor workshop of listening to the voice of the body and discovering some ways that posture and movement and stillness speak to us of our thoughts and commitments that maybe we have not been fully aware of. And she asked such beautiful questions as, where do you feel negative statements in your body? And we reflected. And then where do you feel positive statements in your body? And we reflected. And then she invited us to commit to something and notice how it felt. So I didn't know what to commit to and then it just came to me. I committed to joy. Mm. And I felt it in my body like this beautiful rush. And I was cold at the time but now I felt warm. It was incredibly beautiful. And so the next presentation was um, by another of our colleagues, Suzanne Quinney, and she was talking about work she's doing with the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. She contrasted burnout, like burnout at work, and then joy at work. And that was to me such a reinforcement because I have to confess I've been feeling a little bit on that burnt out end. And so having this positive reinforcement was like, oh, my God, the universe has sent me the angels to support me in my commitment to joy. Wonderful. <laughs> and since that time, I've been practicing this and it's helped me to be really present to joy and use my appreciative voice in this way through the sensations in my body, the somatic experience. And so saying no to things that don't give me joy and then the lightness and energy that comes from that is quite extraordinary. And so my burnout sensation is being extinguished as I kindle kindness and compassion to myself and in doing that, it flows onto others. Mm. And I then found a book that I had by Swiss psychologist uh, Verena Kust and the book is actually called Joy, Inspiration and Hope and I just want to share a couple of quotes there because it has to do with this joy and she says that joy has to do with beaming, shining and glowing. It opens us, leads us to give things away, bonds us with others, suspends gravity, inspires us to sing and to make friends. And this is an important piece that we've been referring to, Sally. Yes. I'm still quoting. A certain amount of joy is an essential ingredient in every collaboration. When joy is present, affiliation takes the place of backbiting and paranoia disappears. The need to say bad things about those who think differently subsides and intrigue comes to a halt. That's so important. Yeah. So committing to joy is definitely a way to power up the positive for sure. Just to wrap up our experience at the AI Jam... I wanted to, Ada Jo Mann, who we had named our poet laureate of the event, gifted us all with a poem on the final day of the event, and she called it AI Jamming. It's about the literacies. Jamming with my AI tribe, feeling full of positive vibes, flexing our appreciative voice, knowing it's a daily choice. Seven literacies to choose, inviting inquiry begins the schmooze. Reframing reality employs the flip, seeking positive impact, a useful tip. Kindling kindness fuels my smile, given freely without guile. Powering the positive shows the way to new opportunities to start each day. 
Welcoming wholeness invites the horde to join the fun and get on board. Connecting the collective for all to engage makes it possible to join in at any age. Finding the future and creating shared vision is sure to end in a great celebration. So now is the time to exercise choice and raise high each day our appreciative voice. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Oh, it's so (laughs) wonderful, yeah. We had a couple of poets in our um, participant group. That's fantastic. Thank you, Ada Jo. Yes. Um, And so we all have versions of what each literacy might look like and how it might be, they might be expressed, and there are no limits. So when we're fluent in these literacies, what might our voices be like? How might they be heard differently than now? How might our voices be more appreciative and more powerful in the co-creation of our shared future? Our voice may be our most important resource. There's an opportunity in everything we do every day for appreciative voice. So what's next for this work? Let's see. Robin, you and I have an article coming out in the November AI practitioner called, appropriately, Voice Lessons. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be doing a workshop on appreciative voice at the Tao's 25th anniversary gathering in Cancun next month as well. Um, You and I have made a proposal to do a workshop at the World Appreciative Inquiry Conference uh, scheduled for next March in Nice, France. I mean, who wouldn't want to go there? (laughs) Um, So there's some fun opportunities coming up for us. As for you, our listeners... What more of the literacies and appreciative voice would you like to experience? Um, It'd be great if you would enter your thoughts uh, on our show notes page or email us. Uh, Our contact information is available on the show notes page. You know, we've had requests to do a book and also to offer a series on daily practices, that dailification thing. So let us know what might be useful to you. (laughs) Yes, and Sally, those events that you're talking about, we'll put uh, links to them on our show notes page so people can learn more about those very exciting events. So there you have it, like appreciative voice and choice is not going anywhere and nor are the literacies. In fact, the literacies are getting stronger and stronger. Now, you might be asking, well, what's going to happen to Positivity Strategist podcast now that Sally is and I are not going to be having these ongoing conversations. It's going to be a big hole, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I do have some new directions for the show. Um, And just let me remind you what my mission is for this show. It's twofold. Uh, One is to serve listeners who want to grow themselves and those that they're in relationships with, whether that's at home, at work or in community. And two, to provide a platform for those who are also doing creative work, creating content, doing great work in the world and need some help or some they have some interest in getting more global expo- exposure to their work and gain greater visibility. And there's no better way to do that than on a podcast because the content is always accessible it lasts for as, as long as the show will be up there. So it's a great way to, you know, to get um, your content out there. And so how do I do that? Well, I share my knowledge and experiences and I provide the platform for others who are making positive differences in the world. And I've interviewed over 90 people now who've generously shared their creativity and their dreams. And they're all different and they're all inspiring and what most of them have in common is the worldview of appreciative inquiry, which includes strength-based and positive approaches to personal career and leadership development across a range of industries and sectors. And I'm most excited now, this is my big announcement, that next season, season three, focuses on appreciative leading. Amazing guests are in the wings And they're going to share their experiences of leading from the appreciative mindset and appreciative principles and practices and literacies. And I'm excited to speak with business leaders and entrepreneurs and with professionals from different fields, such as, um, you know, the legal profession, the medical profession, people working in IT, people working in finance, people working in marketing and artists and journalists and teachers and spiritual leaders. And so my conversation will be with the people who actually do the destiny step of AI. You know, that's the fourth D in the four Ds. So the destiny step, 
And that's the work that happens after the practitioner, the consultant or the trainer has been paid and has gone home. And now you're left doing it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I think there are going to be some fabulous stories there of how people are doing it for themselves. It's a great idea. Yeah. And this is going to go to air in 2019. So I'm just beginning to build capacity now. And Sally, I just want to say one more thing because um, another new adventure for me is to take this podcast to a whole new level and I'm seeking sponsorship and support. So for four years, those of you who have been with me for four years know that I've I've just managed this show on my own. It's kind of been self-funding and I think you'll all appreciate the commitment and the hours it takes. You know, you do the research, you do the inviting, the scheduling, recording, editing, script writing, show notes writing, sharing on social media and so on, you know, to publish, to publicise people's work and then to grow listenership for the show. And so this is the reason I went from one show a week initially in the early days down to a show every two weeks because I just had limited resources. So this cost of time and equipment and production and hosting services and distribution and so on um, and all the personal energy it takes adds up. And Sally, it's been so worth it as I can proudly boast a very good track record. And now I'm, I'm doing something different. I'm seeking some support. So if you're a keen listener to Positivity Strategist, please consider becoming a patron or a sponsor. And to help me with my next season, season three on appreciative leading, I've created a Patreon account where you can sign up to contribute whatever you can to help me to continue to develop the podcast with more resources to bring the message of our important work to the world. You'll hear more from me about Patreon in the next weeks, as well as sponsorship opportunities. And if you want to get in early, please email me. Needless to say... This is a really big new step for the show's future and it's really very exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. And um, and support for you is very well deserved. Yes. Thank you, Sally. Thank you. So let's just come back to current this current season two, which has been wonderful. Appreciative voice and choice. And with you, Sally, my co-host, um, I can't say enough how amazing collaborating with you has been. And I'm so grateful. I'm getting a little teary. No. <laughs> to have had this fabulous experience with you. Likewise. Yeah. Completely. You know, we started something and um, I'm going to quote Dewitt Jones again. When you publish it in your life, you'll never know where it'll show up. So, Sally, why don't you take us out? Thanks to you, Robin, for everything and to our listeners for a great season and an unforgettable experience, really. I hope you'll all join me in telling others about the show, um, all its seasons, all seasons and all episodes. So you can subscribe. You can download the guide to the literacies at appreciativevoice.com. And I hope you'll keep in touch as I will. Robin and me and all of you, remember, it's your choice to find and express your appreciative voice. Mm-hmm.